0: Hello. Today's Bible reading is from Mark 4, on page 1005, from verse 35 onwards. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, and sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the crowd died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, nor even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore these chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus Send us among the pigs, allow us in to go into them. He gave them permission, and the imperial spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons si- sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed
1: and continuing on at verse 21 when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet he pleaded earnestly with him My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus in the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was twelve years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat.
2: morning everyone. How's everyone doing? Thanks Alex and Joel. So I want to ask you, uh, did you have some of those funny irrational fears when you were a kid? I don't know what it was for you, but I was, I was really freaked out by that song, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. You know, oh, we're going on a bear hunt. Like, I just hated it. Uh, I don't know, what, what was your you know, irrational fear? Maybe we can share with each other over morning tea, you know, all friends here. Um, But who did you kind of turn to when you were a kid and something scared you? Uh, Maybe a teacher or a friend? Uh, Me, I was definitely always a mummy's boy. Uh, I'd always go running to mum. Thanks, mum. She dug out this old VHS uh, of me recently uh, at kindy. Um, And there was this bit that I'd completely forgotten uh, about kindy that I probably blocked out. Um, We were going to sing the bear hunt song. Uh, and just before we did, the teacher says, now everyone, we're going to sing it a bit differently this morning because Jamie doesn't like it, so we're going <laughs> to change the words to be about the bear's cuddly fur and his nice shiny eyes and things like that. Um, because mum had come to my rescue behind the scenes, I'd come home crying one day about the song, uh, and she asked the kindy teacher if we could change the words. Uh, so that's how my songwriting career began, uh, so thanks mum. You know, that's one of those silly irrational fears, Um, but what about rational fears? You know, a silly song's one thing, but what about a real bear? Uh, Shouldn't we be scared of them? Uh, You know, there are those things in life that really do terrify us, aren't there? Um, When you get to be a grown-up, you can't run to mum to fix it all the time. You know, when we read the headlines about all the evil going on around the world, the abuses of power, uh, human beings acting like animals, can anybody do something about this? I was really shocked a few weeks ago uh, to hear that a guy uh, from my year at school had passed away in a freak accident. Uh, There was a small article about him in the paper, Uh, you might have seen it, a young man had fallen from a cliff called the emergency services but died while they were trying to find him. Uh, I just couldn't believe that it was a guy that I knew. Uh, I hadn't seen him for for ages to be honest but I do remember him as just a really funny, smart guy. Uh, Now he's gone, it's just tragic. When something like that happens, you kind of can't help but think a little bit about your own life. Uh, You know, it's kind of scary to be confronted with your own mortality. You know, how long have I got? Uh, And actually it was mum who told me about this whole thing and she did it in a really caring way. We had a bit of a chat about it and stuff. Uh, She kind of softened the blow, but she couldn't make it go away. Isn't it rational to be afraid of death, to be really impacted by it like that? Uh, This is the broken world that we live in, and this is the shadow that every human being, great and small, lives under, and this is the world that Jesus entered into. Uh, In the section of Mark that we just heard read out, uh, we see Jesus interacting with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, all with real problems, with real fears, living under the very real shadow of death. Uh, And in each interaction, we see Jesus acting not just with real care, uh, but with real power to help these people. And uh, this morning, we're just going to concentrate particularly on the first two of these interactions. So Jesus with his disciples and Jesus and the demons. Uh, So our two headings this morning are going to be Disciples and Death and Demons and Deliverance, brought to you by the letter D. So let's pick up in verse 35, if you want to keep your Bibles open there at page 1005 to start off with. Uh, Verse 35, we pick up where Jesus and his disciples leave the crowd to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The crowds have been flocking to him to hear his teaching about the kingdom of God. Maybe it's time just to have a bit of a rest. Uh, Well, if that's what they're looking for, it's not what they find, well, not the disciples anyway, because pretty quickly While they're in the boat, this huge windstorm starts raging. Now, has anyone been in a boat in a storm before? A few? What was it like? Scary? (laughs) Pretty bad? I haven't. I was thinking, you know, have you ever been out driving like in the hills or somewhere like that and suddenly it just starts belting down with hail and it's really foggy and you just can't see anything and then you realise you're still going at 80 k's an hour and you just have no idea what's in front of you and it's pretty dangerous... It's a little bit like that, pretty touch and go. These guys were professional fishermen, so they'd probably seen their fair share of storms and troubles at sea, but here they are, afraid for their lives. A wave's crashing into the boat, it's filling up with water, it'll be sinking soon, and then it's just them and the churning sea. They're at the absolute end of themselves, and they think, maybe Jesus can help. They've seen him do some incredible things. He's healed people. He's made a paralyzed man able to stand up and walk. He's said some incredible things. But now, of all times, he's asleep. He's doing nothing to help them. He's not even helping to bail out the water. So they go and wake him up. Verse 38 over the page, oh no, on the same page. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? There's a bit of indignation there, isn't there? And it's pretty understandable, don't you think? Like Their very existence is in peril. And it seems that Jesus has no plan to do anything about it. He's not even really stressing about it. It's one of those desperate existential questions. You know, the word translated there as drown uh, is the same word that's used for die or perish in other parts of Mark. They're asking Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? I wonder if you've ever asked a question like that of God when he just seems to be completely asleep on the job. Well, Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the sea. He says the word and it is utterly still he does the impossible he saves the disciples from danger and it really could just all end happily ever after there but it doesn't so we read on over the page verse 40 he said to his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith it's a pretty strong rebuke really he's saying you cowards you cowards, says Jesus. So why does he you know, save their lives and then turn around and tell them off? Well, it's because they have no faith, according to Jesus. And this is where Jesus sets up the tension between fear and faith that kind of dominates Mark's gospel. Their fear is an indicator that they don't trust him, according to Jesus. And they don't trust him because they don't understand who is in the boat with them. You see this by how they refer to him teacher these guys view jesus as a teacher uh, so what does that imply about what they're expecting him to do when they woke him up in the storm maybe just say some wise words to soften the blow of their impending doom it raises the question doesn't it how how do we think of jesus when we pray to god in his name you have seriously underestimated me says jesus to his disciples when i speak the ocean listens I'm much more than your teacher. Don't you believe that yet? It's strangely harsh though, don't you think? I mean, after all, the disciples did correctly identify that they needed Jesus' help in the storm and that he would have some power to do something for them. And yet he rebukes them for being afraid. What's the implication of this? Well, it's a scary one, I think, because according to Jesus, they shouldn't have been afraid in the storm even when he was asleep. If they knew who was in the boat with them, they wouldn't have been afraid of dying. Because Jesus is the Lord of life and death. Think about this. When was the last time in the Bible that somebody spoke words and changed nature? Any thoughts? It's way back in Genesis 1, when God spoke and the world was. He spoke and brought life. And here Jesus is, he speaks and the ocean listens. Jesus is acting with the very power of God, taming the untamable. And he acts with the heart of God. He uses that power to care for perishing human beings. Just like in Exodus, when God parted the Red Sea so that his people could escape the clutches of slavery. This is the one who was in the boat with the disciples the Lord of the resurrection. At this point, the disciples don't know what we know. They don't know that in the next chapter, Jesus is going to raise a little girl from death. They don't know that not too long from now, his own tomb will be left vacant because he is risen. I do wonder though, if they did in the moment with the waves filling up the boat, would they have reacted differently? Well, we read now in verse 41, they're terrified. They were afraid in the storm as they brushed with death but now in the great calm that Jesus has created they are terrified. Why is that? Well they've just seen a display of raw power. Maybe they're wondering are we safe with this guy? Whatever they're thinking they're awestruck aren't they? And perhaps this is their most rational response so far. Isn't it much more reasonable to fear the Lord of life and death than it is even to fear dying? I think that leaves us with a question to think about. And that is, who do you fear? Who or what do you respect? What has authority over your decisions? Is it death? Death is so painfully real, isn't it? And we've just seen with the disciples, it can come up in your face when you're least expecting it. There's no getting around it. Can't go under it. Can't go over it. No, we can't downplay it. The grief and the fear that it brings does really creep into all parts of our lives. Uh, There was an influential philosopher a bit before Jesus' day called Lucretius. Uh, He summed up the worries of Roman aristocrats as the symptoms of a sickness whose primary cause is an unrecognized fear of death. Uh, In more recent times, plenty has been written that agrees with this kind of philosophy. Uh, In 2008, an American psychiatrist called Irvin D. Yalom published a book called Staring at the Sun, Overcoming the Terror of Death. Uh, His hypothesis is that the fear of death is something that influences us all at various stages of our lives, uh, either overtly or covertly, and it can lead to all sorts of anxiety and other problems that kind of surface up. But if we face up to it and recognize the fact of death, we can start to make progress. I don't know, what do you think? Uh, What's your philosophy when it comes to these big things of life and death? And why is it that we exhaust ourselves trying to fit so much into life? Why do we have midlife and now apparently even quarter life crises? Fear of death can really cripple us, can't it? And lead to all sorts of strange decisions. But Jesus shakes all of that to its core. He shows himself to be the one with authority over life and death. If this is true, then we shouldn't fear death, we should fear Jesus. The disciples are right to be terrified in the presence of Jesus when they see what he's capable of. But imagine being free from the fear of death. That's exactly what Jesus offers. He uses that authority over death to save. He's not an abuser of power. He cares for the perishing. He says to his disciples and to us, why are you so afraid of dying? Don't you know that even if you die, you live? He's the Lord of the resurrection. It's pretty big stuff to wrap your head around. and It's really good that he's so patient with his followers, isn't it? Perhaps they should know better at this point, but they don't. Uh, begs the question, how are you going so far in, in Mark's gospel, in this series that we've had? Uh, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or you're just checking him out now, um, he's bound to have confronted you at some point along the way, I'm sure. You know, how he bursts onto the scene in chapter 1 saying, repent and believe, leave everything and follow me. How he causes a stir with the religious leaders of his time. He does incredible things that no one else can do and makes you think, you know, what's, should we be seeing things like that today? And now he says that we shouldn't fear death. Isn't it encouraging how um, he's so patient with his disciples and we get to see their growing faith through Mark's gospel They don't always get who Jesus is, uh, but they keep following him. Uh, They keep asking him questions. And he keeps showing more and more of himself to them and inviting them to put their faith in him. Uh, So let's be encouraged to keep asking, who is this man? It really is the most important question that we could ever ask. So we've had the disciples and death. Uh, Now demons and deliverance. Uh, So... We're going to continue seeing, really, Jesus' incredible authority and breathtaking compassion for human beings living under the shadow of death. So, we start in chapter 5. The boat arrives safely in the region of Gerasenes. And here Jesus comes into contact with another perishing man. Uh, We're told in verse 2 that he has an unclean spirit. That churning chaos of the sea isn't just out there in nature. uh, It's in people too. Back in chapter 1, one of the first things Jesus does uh, is face Satan in the desert. And we see that this is kind of this spiritual battle uh, going on all the way through Mark's gospel. It's under the surface a lot of the time, but at points like this, it's all too clear. Uh, So what are we supposed to think today when we're confronted with this demon-possessed man? I don't know about you, whenever I hear the mention of demons, all kinds of horror movie cliches come into my mind. What are we supposed to think? Well, let's have a look at what the passage says and see what we can know uh, about demonic power and what it does to this man. Uh, so just quickly, in verse 5, we read that uh, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse 9, the demon calls himself legion because they are many. Uh, perhaps this explains his erratic behavior. Uh, it also implies a great deal of power. Legion is you know, a military term used to describe thousands of soldiers. Uh, Verse 15 gives us a clue uh, that when he met Jesus, he was naked and out of his mind. Uh, In verse 3, he's a risk to himself and others, so people have attempted to chain him up. Uh, So he ends up an outcast, away from everyone else. And again in verse 3, we read that he lived in the tombs, a fitting location, location for the perishing. Legion is a picture of life utterly overpowered by evil. And what does the picture look like? It's like he's the walking dead, isn't it? A picture of despair. He's incredibly strong, uh, but he can't help himself. Other people can't help him. They try to bind him up, but he just keeps breaking loose. Uh, Polite Adelaideans like us would probably cross the street to avoid him. Uh, Just the sight of him uh, would shock people to the core. Have you ever felt that shock? I don't know, when you've thought about The barbaric things that human beings are capable of. I remember traveling through Europe a few years ago uh, and visiting an old concentration camp in Dachau and just feeling overwhelmed by the evil that human beings are capable of. Uh, Or, on a different level, do you ever feel that shock about yourself uh, when you can't believe something you've just said or just done and you just feel out of control? This man is absolutely overrun by this kind of darkness. He's unnamed in the passage. He only gets the name Legion. Uh, It's his whole life. It's left him completely uh, alone, no one to turn to. Any semblance of human dignity is gone. Uh, So whatever questions we might still have about demonic power, uh, it's clear here that its chief goal uh, is to dehumanize. Uh, Satan does all he can to distort the image of God in people. This man's lost all human beauty and is behaving almost like an animal. Uh, and it leads to death. Uh, this guy literally lives in a graveyard. I don't know if you've ever thought of demonic power in that way. Uh, there's a very similar example in the Old Testament about 700 years before this guy. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, he was an extremely powerful man. Uh, he'd conquered plenty of nations, Babylon was absolutely thriving under his rule. Uh, So one day, he stood on the roof of his palace and just took it all in, his kingdom, thought about how awesome he was, how powerful, and at that moment, he heard a voice, King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You're going to become an outsider living with the wild animals until you acknowledge that God is the true king. I wonder what he thought hearing that voice, maybe... It's just a side effect of my great leadership. I've been working too hard. I'm getting a bit paranoid. Sure enough, though, it's not long before he's out of his mind, eating grass, his hair tangled, his nails like bird's claws. You can read more about it in Daniel 4. Uh, The point is that his pride blinded him to the fact that God is the one with true power, and the result was he was overcome with darkness, dehumanized, living like an animal. Now, we don't know the backstory of this guy in Mark 5, but would anyone have guessed that he might have once been rich and powerful? Whatever the case, this man who is completely overcome by all that is unclean and against God shows us in graphic detail what is going on beneath the surface when human beings cut God out of the picture. Whether it's by a life of powerful self-sufficiency or a life overrun with despair. Now, his demon position possessed condition isn't applicable to everyone but it is important to note that these symptoms basically describe what sin does in people's lives sin is the ultimate form of self-destruction turning away from god to run life our own way i don't know uh, maybe you've been christian for a while Uh, do you ever find it a burden Uh, maybe you're checking things out i remember before i was a christian i thought that being a christian looked really hard and not not like a lot of fun um Life apart from God, just doing the things the way we want to, seems very attractive as we look around the world. But here in Mark 5 we get a sober glimpse into the reality of life without God. Looking at this demon-possessed man is a glimpse into hell. Life in the grips of chaos, no beauty, only despair. Much like the disciples in the storm, this man is on the brink of death. And it begs that existential question, doesn't it? Jesus, do you care? Do you care that we're dying? We've seen that he cares for his disciples, the people close to him, uh, but now he's faced with the enemy, with Satan. So what does he do? Well, in short, he saves this man's life, doesn't he? He casts the demons out into a herd of pigs nearby, freeing the man from their power. Uh, In verse 15, we read that the untamable man is dressed and in his right mind. Jesus is merciful to the perishing. He says in verse 19, Go home, tell your friends about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The consequences of sin are pain and death apart from God. This is the world we live in, even in a part of the world where we have lots of material comforts. Evil, darkness and death are never too far away. The Bible teaches us uh, that this is the result of pushing God out of the picture. But Jesus comes on the scene, interacts with this man, cares for him, even though he's basically the embodiment of all that evil can do, and mercifully saves him. Uh, This guy has absolutely no power to save himself. He's under the power of this unclean spirit. There's nothing he can do to show that he even deserves to be helped. Uh, Even in their conversation, he seems to be pretty hostile towards Jesus. But Jesus says the word, and he's free completely restored, made human again. Uh, So we find ourselves asking, I think, like the disciples, who on earth has the power to do that? Who is this who even the demons recognize as the Son of God? It's kind of scary, isn't it? He's the one who's come to disarm Satan once for all. Uh, Back in chapter 3, Jesus himself is actually accused of being under the power of Satan, uh, but he replies, saying that he has come to tie up Satan, the strong man, and plunder his house. And he shows it's true here with Legion, the man no one could tie down. Uh, it's a good reminder for us Satan is very real. Uh, he does all he can to twist the image of God in people. And the consequences for us are pain and death apart from God. And Satan even uses that fear of death in an attempt to drive us even further away from him. we thought already a bit about how the fear of death can lead to all sorts of anxiety and strange decisions. Uh, It can drive us to living selfishly, just looking for the next thrill, the next experience, and totally forgetting about other people or even God. But Jesus has tied Satan up once for all. The writer of Hebrews captures it well. Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. At the cross, Jesus completely broke the power of Satan. He paid the price for every act of evil and by his bodily resurrection proved that we no longer need to be held in captivity by the fear of death. Could it be that evil and death As dreadful as these things are, are really irrational fears uh, when we compare them to who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that we should fear. So how do people respond to these incredible events with legion in Mark 5? Well again, faith and fear are at play. Uh, Let's think about the man's reactions first. Uh, To begin with, he's afraid, isn't he? Verse 7, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Have you ever felt like that? Uh, I don't know what's going on for you guys at the moment Uh, when you think about these things. uh, Maybe you're beginning to glimpse the immense authority Jesus has even over your life. That can be quite scary to contemplate. Perhaps you've been Christian for a while. Uh, If that's the case, then you'll know that following Jesus is a constant process of giving Jesus his rightful authority over every aspect of life. And that can be painful. I don't know about you, Uh, But when I've been aware of something uh, like that in my life, where I need to give Jesus the authority, I find myself thinking a bit like Legion. What do you want with me, Jesus? Being threatened by the power that Jesus has over all of life. But the transformation of this man uh, reminds us of the joy uh, of leaving behind whatever we need in order to follow Jesus. Uh, Because fear turns to faith, doesn't it? After he encounters The compassion and power of Jesus, this man responds with incredible faith and joy that overflows. Uh, In verse 18, he begs Jesus that he might be with him. Uh, He gets that a relationship with Jesus is what he needs. He wants to follow him. Uh, Instead, though, Jesus tells him to go and tell his friends what he's done for him. He gives him a purpose. Uh, It's a pretty big ask, though. I don't imagine this guy would have been your classic people person. I don't imagine he would have had the best reputation. But we read in verse 20 the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The untameable man obeys Jesus, and he doesn't just tell his close friends, he goes out to the Decapolis, the ten cities, uh, to tell people there he just can't help himself. Incredible faith, isn't it? On the other hand, the crowd responds with fear when they find out what's happened. Uh, Let's look at verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It's kind of a heartbreaking irony here. Uh, The man who had nothing at all ends up with everything and the crowds who were attached to the things they had push Jesus away and miss out on what he has to offer. Notice how it's stressed that those who saw these events tell about the pigs as well. 2,000 of their pigs have just died. Uh, Jesus posed a real threat to their economy, to their livelihood and tragically that means that they urge him to leave them alone. Don't they know what he's capable of? The sad thing is they've seen a glimpse but would rather have their pigs than to know Jesus. Maybe it's that fear of death so deeply ingrained that's led them desperate to seek safe ground to stand on and financial security seems like safe ground enough. They don't see that Jesus, the Lord of life and death, is among them. So I guess the question for us today is How will you respond to Jesus? In some ways, Jesus poses a real threat because of the authority that he has over every human life. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, uh, he's pretty upfront, isn't he? Doing so will change things. But think about how he uses that authority. He meets with real people with real pain under the real shadow of death and he uses his authority to save them from a life enslaved to death to a life in joyful, eternal relationship with him. Now, obedience can seem like kind of an oppressive idea, can't it? Uh, But look at the incredible freedom that obeying Jesus gives this man. How will you respond? The ex-demon-possessed man seems to be the one person uh, in this part of Mark who really gets the gravity of what Jesus has done for him. His overflowing joy is a great reminder for all of us who know the mercy of Jesus. Uh, So I thought I'd set us all a little bit of homework this week, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, And it's just to reflect on the mercy that Jesus has shown you. Uh, We've been reminded this morning of exactly where we'd be without him. Uh, You might want to take some time out to write some things down, uh, to thank God for them and even to tell someone about it. I've been thinking about it a bit this week for myself. Uh, Trinity Bay started 10 years ago, 10th birthday next week, lots of cake. Um, For me personally, if it hadn't started, who knows really where I'd be. Uh, I was 16 at the time, not remotely interested in God. I was living for other things uh, and beginning to get a bit of a glimpse of the emptiness of it all. God is so merciful. He provided people here at the Bay who didn't give up on telling me about Jesus and urging me to put my trust in him. And doing just that was a long process for me that took a lot of time and thought, but it's changed everything. God has been so merciful to me. Last week, uh, Lachlan from TBE and I went to Flinders to get involved with the ES store, at Owick with Lauren. Uh, they were talking to people about Jesus there. Uh, and it's pretty unnerving having conversations like that with people you haven't met before and that sort of thing. Um, but I was just reminded, just like the ex-demoniac, Uh, it's really a great response to the mercy of God, isn't it? To want to share it with people on campus. Uh, Uni is one of those times uh, where we search for safe ground to stand on, knowledge, a career. What better time of life to find out that Jesus is the one with all authority, the only solid ground to stand on. What a great response to God's mercy. Uh, At the end of last year, uh, reflecting on God's mercy again, uh, we saw a great work Uh, of God's Mercy at TBE, Uh, Will, uh, some of you guys might have met Will, Uh, he stood up in front of everyone uh, including his parents who had come down from China uh, and some friends who he'd invited and told us about how God had been merciful to him. Uh, He was really keen to tell everyone, he caught up with me to help him work out what he wanted to say and he ended up giving this massive like 15 minute testimony uh, before he was baptized. Uh, I was just reminded of something he said this week, He said, I used to think that death was the biggest tragedy of life, that you just turned into a particle and no one cared. But now I know that God sent Jesus to save us. Jesus saved him from life and death apart from God. Uh, He's moved to the city now for study, so we won't see him as much, but it was so encouraging to be able to see God mercifully change his life. Praise God for his great mercy to us in Jesus. I look forward to hearing the things that you've been thankful for. Uh, But for now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to defeat the powers of evil and death once for all on the cross. We admit that we struggle not to underestimate his power. We struggle to give him the rightful authority that he has over all our lives. Please help us to repent of this where we need to and trust Jesus as the one with all power, and trust that he uses that power to save perishing human beings like us. We pray you'd help us to be people who live out the joy of knowing the mercy of Jesus. Help us to be people who can't help ourselves but to share him with others. And we pray that this week we'd all have the chance to reflect more on your great mercy to us in Jesus. We pray in his powerful name. Amen.